I'm just clearing my throat because I feel like I haven't seen you guys in about six months. <laughs> I feel like it's been the longest time. Hi, you're listening to the Jan Arden Podcast. I'm here with Caitlin Green and Adam Karsh uh, is uh, in his home engineering this and putting it all together. And Caitlin, once again, is sitting on her bathroom floor. Uh, are you in your bathroom today? No, I moved on up. Oh, where are you? <laughs> I am sitting in an armchair in my bedroom. See? Oh, wait. Hold on. Oh, I can, can see, see it. We we, yeah. we like to do these uh, on video. We just we tape the audio, obviously, for this podcast, but um, we find it a lot easier to talk to each other because normally we would, we would be in the studio. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it has been quite hilarious, uh, all the places we've been. I've had dogs barking. I've had you know, squirrel attacks and doors opening and shutting and people coming in the front door to like fix my internet. And it's, yeah, it's just been a real potpourri. This, this is, this is real life people. And yeah. I believe we are on week nine of I being think. isolated, doing physical social distancing. Yeah, it is week nine. It's week nine. Week yep. nine. I've been home since March the 7th. So that's all I know. That's crazy. My first, my, I was still at work in studio the week of that, like that week of March. And then March 16th, I think was the first day that I broadcast from home. And ever since then it's been home. And I got to say, I have no clue when we're going to be back in the office for me, at least back in the studio. Uh, at first we all kind of, we did a bet on the morning show that I work on in Toronto of what date we'd be back. And I actually bet it would be this coming Tuesday after the long weekend. So I thought it would be May 19th. I am losing that bet. I think it's probably going to be closer to July. Yeah, I think um, something that's been helpful for me, and, and my job is different. I mean, I, I am not going to be doing live work until next year. Mm-hmm. Um, it involves thousands of people. And um, I, just, I just don't see the music industry being in front of large crowds until next year. I I think that will be the last phase of things that actually change um, and go sort of back to that semblance of normality, which is fine. I mean, I, um, it's, it's heartbreaking, I think just because it's what I love to do, but uh, like even in Calgary where I live outside of Calgary, I know that this past week they were supposed to open up restaurants, a few restaurants in, in a, in a revised version of them, but that's all been pushed now for another 12 days. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's anything bad happening in Calgary, except that somebody's made the decision to go. We just want to really nail this down. We, we, uh, I'm not sure what happened. I'm going to try and get the, uh, the scoop from my friend who uh, works in HR with a, a little town called Cochrane here. But I don't, I don't know why, but there's, there's another 12 days where they, it's really restrictive movement and they're not even supposed to leave the city. So oh. I, don't know, I don't know what that's all about. It's kind of the same thing here in Ontario. Like restaurants still haven't been given the all clear to open. We have expanded our list of, you know, reopened businesses a lot in the last little while. Um, there's going to be more coming next week. But yeah, the ones that people were really hoping for were, of course, hairdressers, which I feel like is all anyone's talking about. And then nail salons, restaurants, and of course, dentists too. So these are all businesses where you're going to be in pretty close proximity to the service provider. And so I think now inside Scoop in Toronto is that they're thinking June 2nd. They're thinking June 2nd for hair and they're thinking June 2nd for restaurants. But that could change. It could be exactly like what just happened in Calgary, Jan. They could say, hey, June 2nd it is, and then decide, ah, actually, we talked to public health officials. They want the numbers to be slightly lower. Let's wait. 
Well, I mean, there's one thing that we don't have to worry about that is going to be reopening, and that's video stores. <laughs> but, uh, you know, tell that to people in, um, I think it's, is it Ohio? Where the hell is it? It's, it's Oregon. The, yeah, it's a it's, blockbuster store in, in Bend, Oregon. Yep. And it has, it is the only blockbuster that is open still to this day. Yeah, it's the last. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's open right now. But what I'm saying is that I don't even think COVID could close it. So, I don't. You know more about it than I do, Caitlin. It is still open, and the thing that's funny is I think that they're literally <laughs> tossing, they're tossing DVDs out, and uh, like what do you the mean out the window or out based, to the, out to the customers? No, like out to the customers, and they're disinfecting the DVDs that they have. And, um, you know, they said that a bunch of people joked that they had watched, they couldn't, they said, I can't scroll through Netflix anymore. Like I can't, I've watched everything that I want to watch. There's too much content. I just want to come in and get a physical movie. And also like everything that's old is new again. Uh, I was reading about streaming services and they're saying that, you know, jazz music, like, uh, Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald and, you know, oldies, their, their streaming numbers are through the roof. And, you know, artists like Billie Eilish, not, not streaming the same numbers that they were before the pandemic. And it's because I think nostalgia is really comforting to people. So maybe that's part of the reason why Blockbuster, the last one has stayed open. They're like using DVDs like Frisbees out to customers, I guess. So is it under the Blockbuster header? Like, is it an actual official Blockbuster store? Yeah, so they have the it same is. sign. They have the same signage, the same branding, but I don't know if it's like a grocery store where it could be like a no frills, but it's owned by like a set family or a couple or something. Um, but yeah, still the same signage. They're still calling it Blockbuster. So I don't know. I'd love to know what kind of DVDs people there are renting. And kind of a cute thing that they said were, was that, you know, some people don't have access to the internet all the time. You know, obviously people who maybe couldn't afford it or lost their jobs, their internet's disconnected. This is a really cheap way for them to still see their favorite movies. Oh. Oh, not to stream it. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of assumptive things going on where people automatically think that every household has Netflix or every household has, you know, Disney Plus or Apple yeah. this or, you know, there are thousands upon thousands of people that do not have access to the internet. You know, they, they may not even have like a smartphone. They may not yeah. have any of that stuff. So I think yeah. we have to be really kind to, to, you know, you think about, I bought a new phone well, just like four or five months ago. I had it, in my defense, I had, I think, uh, the 7. I had yep. an Apple, uh, an iPhone 7. And it was kind of, I couldn't do upgrades anymore. There was things I couldn't do. And I hung on to it for the longest time. I did my crack screen and did the whole thing. And then I just finally thought, well, I'll break down and I might as well get the newer one, because everyone said, Jan, you take so many pictures, get a newer one. I just about fell over. Went into the Apple store. It was, no word of a lie, people. I, can't, I'm, I, I might be a little bit off here, but I think it was 1400 plus tax. Yeah. I got the lowest um, uh, storage. What do you call that? Memory? Yeah. Because yep, I'm, like, I'm like the the memory that was like the top one was another three or 400 bucks. I'm like, uh, no, not paying $1,800 for a phone. So it's basically like having a beautiful desktop computer and I just couldn't anyway. So, you know, if, if, if any of you guys have old iPads or, um, 
you know, phones that you trade in, and maybe you have kids that you give them to, but please consider reaching out to women's shelters or uh, I wouldn't even know where to direct you, but, you know, get, get on the, get on the horn and see if there's someone that can take a, your old iPad or old iPhone. Cause right now it would be so fun for people to have that. Even if it is a six or a seven or an eight, or if you have like a, a first or second generation iPad that you did, like some people do, they have them sitting in drawers that they're not doing anything with. They just upgraded to a new one. And so it's funny that you mentioned this because uh, there's a, an association and I believe I'm, I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but I think it's called the ERA, the electronic recycling association. And okay. we'd actually spoken to them on our show. Funny thing is the woman who we spoke with is actually not far outside of Calgary and uh, it's a Canadian organization. And what they do is you send them all your old electronics and yeah. they, they fix them up and they redistribute them to people in the community who are who don't have access to you know maybe a laptop or an iPad now especially with e-learning for a lot of students now obviously yes. this is the norm and if you don't have a laptop in your household or an iPad or maybe you only have one and your parent needs it for work. Um, this is a great resource for them to be able to uh, use and access this for, for no money. And um, it's also a great way to keep these items out of landfills because some of the stuff in them is just terrible for the environment. So hey, well, let's make sure we post that. Let's make sure yeah. that we either tweet it out so people can go to the ERA I know. I'm like, um, you're, you guys are going to be looking at my nose for a second, but I'm going to look it up because I have her information in, in my email for work. And okay. uh, she was, it was, it's such a great service. And the other service that I saw, and I'm going to have to look up their name as well. It's these two guys out of Toronto. And what they do is they actually match senior citizens with a young kind of tech savvy millennial. And the millennial consults with them on how they can use Zoom, how they can use FaceTime, just how they can use their technology at home in order to stay in touch with their loved ones. Because of course, with senior citizens being some of the most vulnerable during the pandemic, they are very isolated and it's yeah. tough. So it's cool to see Canadians trying to get out there and, and help each other when it comes to either physically getting the hardware and also knowing how to use it. Well, in the, I'm sure a lot of these uh, people hook up too, Caitlin. I'm sure there's a lot of, of hookups going on with the millennials and the seniors because I don't, there's nothing that, that is more powerful than experience. So if anyone's looking to date like a panther such as myself. <laughs> is that what you're um, called, a panther? I don't, well, I can't be cougar anymore. What's 58? 58's got to be into panther lemur territory. <laughs> lemur, panther, <I'm> not- <laughs> lemur, um, uh, where, where do we go after that? If anyone knows, please feel free to tweet, tweet us, you know? I know. Uh, I would love to know the answer to that question. Like what is the, what's the, like, what's the threshold there? <laughs> Panther. I love lemur. Thinking that this, somebody's a lemur is incredible. Well, it's just the eyes. It's the eyes and the, and the, and the very elegant long fingers. Yeah. I, that's definitely not me. I mean, <laughs> I, um, I think my hands resemble cocktail sausages on occasion. <laughs> um, but listen, I'm trying to keep together. I'm trying to have a semblance of looking well over here. You know, a couple days a week, I'm actually blow drying my hair, putting makeup on, and uh, getting myself organized. Um, yeah. Listen, when we come back, we're going to talk about a bunch of things that are kind of a little strange. I want to touch on about Lance Armstrong a bit. Um, people would remember him. He was the uh, the very award-winning Yellow Jacket 
uh, Tour de France winner for many, many years. And then he was dogged with accusations of drug use and, and doctoring his, his physical abilities. But we're going to touch on that when we get back. And we're going to do a little bit of celebrity uh, stuff. Kanye West, security guards. We've got lots of stuff to, to talk about. You're listening to the Jan Arden Podcast. We'll be right back. So as promised, I just wanted to talk about uh, Lance Armstrong. I don't know why yeah. this interests me. I think what really got me with him, like, like I have no interest in sports. Sorry, everyone. But I really, <laughs> like I do like the Raptors and I like the finals of stuff. And I, I'll watch the Stanley Cup and the Grey Cup and all the cups. I'll watch them. And the Super Bowl because I like the ads like everybody else on the planet and the halftime. But anyway, long story short, when Lance started going out with uh, Cheryl Crow, I was like, this is really interesting. Like, I don't know what the hell she sees in him. I thought it was like the weirdest matchup ever. It was like old mother Hubbard and Tom Jones for some reason. I don't know. I felt <laughs> like it was really weird. So Lance anyway, had a massive fall from grace five, six years ago. Um, he's never really publicly spoken about his doctoring, the steroid use, any of that crap. So now May 24th, cause we're all going to be at home to watch this stuff. He's got a four hour film. It's in two parts, but I'm thinking they're going to do four hours on this guy. Um, and he's, he says he's going to come clean about what exactly what happened. Yeah. And I think now, because there isn't any sports right now, people have gone for so long without any, you're going to maybe see any of these sports documentaries that were either in the works or maybe they were in post already, but they're just pushing them right through to release them as soon as they can. It's like the, uh, the, the hit Michael Jordan documentary about, you know, the, the famous Chicago bulls and, and all the seasons that he played with them um, called the last dance. It's just been a sensation on Netflix because people are dying for sports. Also they're dying for nostalgia. So it's like a combination of the two and not ever having heard from, you know, Lance in any great depth about what happened, uh, covering four hours. It seems like a long time to me. I mean, they're releasing it in two chunks, but, um, when I think of the last dance, I'm not even a big basketball fan and I've been enjoying it immensely. Like all the behind the scenes stuff and the stories about everything that these guys overcame in their lives to get to where they were. It was pretty cool, but I don't know. Do you think he'll talk about Cheryl Crow? I feel like he broke her heart. I don't know who broke up with who there. I, the thing with me is, like, I don't know how you feel about it. it this was sort of pre-cancel culture. Maybe this mm. was the beginning of cancel culture. Um, oh, to a certain you're right. Because, because he, you know, he denied it. And as far as I know, up until this special that comes out the 24th, you know, he has claimed the whole way along that he was not guilty of doctoring. He was not guilty of steroid use or drug use, that everything he did was from hard work. And, and I've said this a lot too over the years, say what you will about steroids. I'm sorry, like cycling for hundreds and hundreds of miles, I don't care what kind of drug you take, that takes an enormous amount of dedication. You've got to be in the shape of your life. And I don't think there's a drug in the world, including cocaine or some kind of jumped up whatever, that's going to get you to pedal, you know, and, and, and dedicate yourself to win a race like that. It takes intelligence of how to make the moves and how to, how to navigate, you know, what, a thousand riders in that crazy thing? I don't his, know. I just His doping scandal, though, was like, I read a little bit about it. I'm not going to claim to know everything. 
it was insanely next level. Like we are talking, the people who were on his bike team, the doctors they had behind them would literally swap out a human's worth of blood and give them fresh blood. Now, again, I, I hope I'm dead on about this because someone, <laughs> oh my someone, God. this sounds terrible. I no, thought but he was getting a shot in the bum, Caitlin. No, this is no, a whole no. different thing. This is like, we, and that's the thing. It's like, he bore the brunt of it. And, and, and rightfully so. I mean, he accepted the, the, all the accolades and all the money knowing full well that what he was doing um, was superhuman. And, and I've always felt like, okay, well, let's see what I could do if you gave me probably some 18 year old's blood and all the human growth hormones under the sun, maybe I'd be winning the tour de France. I don't know. And, and I would not, I would (laughs) not be winning no matter if they gave me five bodies worth of Michael Jordan, human blood with, (laughs) uh, I don't know. I I just, just, there's no way I I don't have the dedication or the drive. That sounds disgusting. (laughs) <laughs> well, what you do have, what you do nail though, is that he was obviously very highly competitive and, and driven, but you know, I remember seeing, and, and he, he was diagnosed, I believe it was with testicular cancer and, yes. um, and yeah, and he overcame it. Well, then I started and it was funny cause I remember this was all going on and my, my dad is, Oh, hello, Mitty. This is Mitty's cameo. Sorry, God. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, but yeah, my dad is an extremely fitness oriented person. And so when this is all going on and then, you know, he overcomes cancer and then the, the doping scandal comes out, my dad was like, well, what did they have him on? Like, can I get some of these human growth hormones? Like, I want to be able to do all this, like the crazy fitness level stuff that he is like, why can't this be legal for everybody to have if it's going to potentially cure your diseases and make you a super athlete? Well, I mean, you got to feel for the guy. It's got to be difficult. I mean, never mind having cancer, and Adam can speak to this, but having cancer of your private parts. Your danger there, zone. There, there's got to be an added um, level of terror involved in that, Adam. Yes, I would be very, very scared obviously, if that was the case. And I don't know how, I mean, cancer is bad enough as it is, but if it's down there, that's really trouble. My mom would probably say, well, I bet you any money it had something to do with him sitting on that stupid little seat. <laughs> oh my God. And I bet you his knackers were just, you know, <laughs> taking a pounding on there and no wonder. That, that would be my mother. And you'd kind of go, yeah, I mean, that doesn't sound that off. <laughs> I will tell you that I have tried spin class in my life a few times and it is not going to happen for me. It is not comfortable. I don't care about it. I can't do it. And they sell these special gel padded like shorts that you would wear. It's almost like a gelatin like diaper that you wear to help protect your Well, there goes our crotch. Peloton sponsorship, Caitlin. <laughs> Well, hey, maybe they can send me the gel diaper. I don't know. I just always wondered, and again, medical disclaimer here, clearly uh, not a doctor, but what if all the stuff that he was taking was actually, what if the stuff that he was taking though, like maybe he shouldn't have been taking it because it was illegal to win races. What if it actually helped his physical health? Like, I don't know. I've always, I'm I'm so curious. I'm he so may well be alive because of having 19 bodies worth of human blood <laughs> exchange. So- let me, can we just expand on this for a second? I know you're kind of hypothesizing here, Caitlin, but how would that take place? Would they go, this didn't happen like while they were racing. They didn't pull them over like an Indy 500. They did not. Caitlin so, is nodding. She's nodding on the, on the video right now. So you're telling me that they 
overnight when they were resting between this bike race, the, <laughs> the team would go into the, like the room and exchange their blood. So I don't know about that. I don't know if it's the specifics of the blood and, and I'm not, <laughs> someone's going to be like, this never happened, Caitlin. What are you talking about? But my, my understanding was from the limited research that this I did. This is so like, sad, Caitlin. I have to stop you because okay. this is the end of the segment. Okay, okay, and okay. we're going to, we're going to come back because that deserves at least 40 seconds of our time. Okay. You're listening to the Jan Arden podcast. Please come back and <laughs> learn about Lance Armstrong's <laughs> Uh, testicles and his blood transfusions. Uh, okay, bye. We're gonna launch right back in. We just we were supposed to touch on Lance Armstrong. This was my doing, but we were talking about him getting these complete, like blood transfusions, like a, a human body's worth of blood transfusions <laughs> while he was doing the tour de france and yeah. he has this special coming out may the 24th four hours long two-parter where he's going to come clean and talk about this so anyways caitlin actually googled it so what is he getting like the platelets yeah so because i thought i knew a, i probably knew about five percent of this and then that <laughs> informed my <laughs> my take but he, this is such and, a light topic today it's so yeah. it's so light and kind of <laughs> it's just whimsical <laughs> whimsical blood takes is yeah. what we're doing today on the show. But so he it's, it's basically, it's called blood doping and it involves adding red blood cells okay. to increase your performance abilities. And, um, he apparently, he talked about this with Oprah. I was like, where the heck did I feel like he talked about, he defended himself and it was Oprah. And I was getting him confused with the author of a million little pieces who also had to defend himself on Oprah because of some lies he told in his book. And a Lance lot went, of lies. A lot of lies. Yeah. A lot of lies. And Lance goes on Oprah too. And it was on his, probably like his defense tour. And he said, nobody could win the tour de France without doping. And he talks about the very, very um, streamlined doping process that they had just, it was commonplace. And it wasn't just him. It was the whole team. It was everyone who was behind him. And uh, it involved human growth hormones and blood doping and, you know, types of steroids and stuff. And it's, it's the same, you know, it, it's the question I've always asked when you see these high performance athletes is like, is this the same as, you know, when you'd see Arnold Schwarzenegger, like bodylifting back in the seventies or whenever, like, is it the same thing? Well, I think the drugs came a long way from the seventies. I'm sure steroids in the seventies were pretty like, you know, you would just get a very, Oh, but that's what I mean. Like, I mean, as in like, I feel like the athletes who were back in the day, they didn't yeah. have access to no. it. So I feel like athletes today aren't the same as athletes back in the day. Like it's not the same as as I mean, in my mind, it doesn't seem like it would be the same as, as Arnold Schwarzenegger or Michael Jordan, or I don't know. Like, I can't imagine it being as refined as all this. He's like the Kardashian of the sports world. Yes. I'm sure that, like, I don't know about you, but, and I can't even believe I'm bringing up the Kardashians, but I'm fascinated <laughs> by them. Um, of, like, Chloe, she looks, she doesn't even look, like anything, but I, I like that. I like when people kind of reinvent themselves and, you know, we certainly age. I mean, I'm rec unrecognizable. I look back even 15 years and I'm like, who the hell was that? Yeah. I, I just, I look at myself, whatever weight, hairstyles. I mean, we have all these pictures at our fingertips now. Like whenever I have memories come up on Facebook or something from even three years ago, I'm going, Oh, MG. Yep. What the hell was I wearing? And why, <laughs> why did I think my arms were so fat? My arms were awesome back then. 
That's hilarious. I just saw a photo of myself at a wedding recently and I was wearing a, you know, like a sleeveless dress. And I thought, why the heck was I so picky about my upper arm area, which looked great by all accounts. But yeah, I mean, the other thing too, that's weird with social media and with the Kardashians is even though, yes, they all have different faces than they were, except for Courtney, I think, um, than they were naturally born with. They also use these face tuning type apps on their photos. Oh, do they? Yeah, of course, because okay. like, you know, their business is to look like they don't have a pore on their body. So they post these photos and they're, you know, fixed within an inch of their life already on top of the fact that they've had massive amounts of cosmetic procedures. Do you think so? so? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, well, I don't, and, but you know what, having said that, whatever blows your skirt up, like yeah, do I am want. never, I am never going to sit back and point fingers or say whatever lifts your spirit or makes you feel like you want to feel I I would be I mean I have to I have to support that especially with women I cannot point my finger at anybody and go why would you do that to your nose or why would you do that and I'm I'm saying this because when I was in my mid-20s my mom got her neck done nothing else on her face she didn't like her neck which I can relate to now at 58, you know, things Oh, I relate to it now. Like I relate to it at 36. But mom, mom saved her money. She worked at a, like an egg farm, uh, you know, which was a really crappy job and, and, you know, sorting all these eggs and she would work weekends and in the evenings, I remember her leaving after the dinner table saying, you kids have to eat because I've got, um," and she walked down the road or took her bike and went and worked at this egg farm and she saved, I don't know what it was. It was like $3,500. It might as well have been a million. And she went to a doctor in Calgary and she got her neck lifted. And I remember her crying about when they took everything off and she came home that afternoon and she had these little drains and stuff. And I was so freaked out. But I looked at my mom, who was not a vain person. She was, she just wasn't. And uh, that changed the way I thought about why people do things. And she was so happy. And she just, uh, the way she held herself, the way she maneuvered her way through the world, I was always very proud of her. And, and she did something that really made a difference in her life. It can be a huge confidence boost for people. And everyone has, you know, you should have body autonomy where you, it's your body. You can look how you want and you can kind of do what you want with it. If you want to make changes, you should be able to make changes. I just think that the general population doesn't realize how many changes the most beautiful people in the world may have made to themselves to look that way because they have to be on camera all the time. It's a different level of stress and visibility for, uh, for celebrities. And so oftentimes young people without any context or knowledge of that compare themselves. And I just oh, think, I know. compare yourself with the knowledge that, you know, you, this, you don't have to look this way, um, to be successful and to be considered attractive by everybody. And if you want to make changes to yourself, you can, but like not everybody's born looking like that. And let's be well, honest. It's expensive too. And, and, oh, it's so expensive. Yeah. And you don't want to go to somebody who botches it. I mean, one of my favorite shows to watch in this pandemic has been botched. <gasps> I can't, and I can't stomach it. And it has been any kind of tattoos being fixed that were terrible, uh, plastic surgery gone sideways that is being fixed. I am fascinated. Uh, the Dr. Pill, uh, uh, Pimple Popper or whatever the... Oh, no, Jane, you watched that? Yeah, I, I, I'm just... 
like a lot of times I'm looking through the cracks in my fingers because I, but I just can't help myself. Like Dr. Pimple Popper, isn't that what it is? Yeah, it is. It's Dr. Pimple Popper. Anyway, this woman, she's just, made a fortune off of it. Well, a word of caution, just, you know, do, do what you want to feel well, but I think, you know, do your homework and like my mom, she saved her money because my dad couldn't, they couldn't afford that. And she, she friggin' worked at an egg farm to, uh, to, to pay for it. But that, that was a real pivotal thing for me. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's so appearance driven these days and it, I find it a little bit bothersome because exactly because of what you said, Caitlin, that um, younger people, men and women are being presented with these ideas, these visuals. And you're saying, listen, use caution because it's not really real. It's not, it's not real. And, and, you know, and again, like, like, yeah, I, I think anyone can make changes to their, to themselves if they want to, whether it's coloring your hair or, you know, getting Invisalign or whatever you want to do, improve it improve yourself if you want to. But uh, I just get so worried about people who are younger and don't have the same life experience. And also people who then look at it and feel like, oh, no one's going to think I'm attractive. Like, absolutely, people will still, like, there's there's attractive qualities about every single person and it's so subjective. And how the Kardashians look is one version of LA beauty. But like, it's not, it's also not for everybody. And sometimes you see, I've got to say, I see some celebrities doing like makeup tutorials and stuff on their social media when they actually move their face and they're not in a still photo, it looks weird. It looks weird. So you have to think about it that way too. You're just seeing a photo, you're seeing a still image and it can be altered. But if you saw that person in real life in conversation, you might be like, oh, I know. And keep this in mind too. They're not any happier than you are. And what we are learning through this isolation and through, you know, this whole pandemic thing is how very little we need you know, appearance doesn't mean a heck of a lot when you don't have anyone looking at you. You know, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we have a, a closet full of clothing and you're seeing all these celebrities really struggling with how, where they fit into the world because they, most of them need an audience. It's what fills them up. It's what perpetuates their fame. It's what gives them their sense of power, their sense of, you know, whatever it is that fame is. People have to remember this and I know I have to wrap this up for our next segment, but we create fame. So whenever we, we uh, rattle the chains of, uh, chains of someone who's famous uh, and we, we shake our heads and we're disappointed and we can't believe their behavior, we must remind ourselves who makes fame, who makes people famous, and that, that lies within us. That lies within us. We're, you're listening to the Jen Arden Podcast. We've got so many more interesting things to talk about. We want to talk about Kanye West Bodyguard. This is a fun <laughs> show because we got to keep it moving, folks. Welcome back to the Jen Arden Podcast. I'm here with Caitlin Green. Adam Karsh is uh, making this all work and seemingly seamless. Uh, we have to, I, I, I can't, I'm going to leave this topic alone after this with the, Lan, with the Lance Armstrong, but let's just consider, you know, you're, and, and Caitlin, you're the one that brought this up, the whole, the blood and the exchange of getting the red blood cells. Do you know how hard and rare it is to get blood now for different operations? The Red Cross and all these agencies are always beating up, you know, not beating up, but really trying to advocate people to give blood, the products that they need to save lives, burn mm-hmm. victims, people that are in car accidents, people that are in traumas, cancer patients, people going through all kinds of crap. And here's this athlete, you know, getting 
access to these blood products to win a race. I hate how that reads. <laughs> I mean, athletes have always had access to some of the best, you know, medical expertise and, and health science in the world because it's sort of their, that's their industry, right? Uh, it's like how, you know, celebrities industry is looking good. So they always have the best doctors and the best skincare people, makeup, everything. So, um, yeah, he, he did engage in like blood doping where you get a boost of these red blood cells as part of his performance. And it's funny because it does remind me of when, when COVID first came out, you started wondering to yourself as, as no Nobody in the general public was able to get tested. As people who were frontline workers working in nursing homes, and stuff, they couldn't get their hands on a test. They were being denied tests. Nope. Well, all of a sudden, an entire basketball team can just get a test like that. They can just get a test overnight. You know, an entire uh, group of athletes, if they want to bring sports back, right, they're going to have to keep testing them. They're going to have to keep testing all these athletes, test them all the time. They're going to have to test anyone who's in contact with them. And, you know, so long as tests are a little hard to come by for the general public, I think people are right to feel a bit left out and like they're less valued than well, an athlete. You know who should be freaking be tested? Everyone that works in a slaughter plant, everyone working in animal proteins, the people on the front lines, you know, providing people with food and, and working in these, these god-awful, horribly tragic environments. What about testing them? I mean, we've seen, you know, so many people, hundreds of people getting sick in these horrible, those are our versions of the wet markets, folks. But anyways, I'm going to move on before I get us into trouble. Um, Kanye West, his yes. bodyguard, um, was Steve Stanulis is his name, yeah. and it's secrets. I love this stuff. Secrets of the Hollywood, you know, elite that have these bodyguards. Yes, and, and he's come out. I don't know why he didn't have a, a non-disclosure agreement that he had to sign, <laughs> but anyway, he's he's come out with all these ridiculous rules that he had to have with Kanye when yeah. he was working with Kanye. He had to walk ten paces, I guess, yards. Yeah. behind him on a city street. So if you're going to like tackle somebody or hit them or punch them or something, 10 yeah. paces seems like an awful long way to go to protect a guy. So, well, it's like how ineffective is that as a bodyguard to be told that you have to leave enough space for between you and your client so that somebody could kind of jump in and attack them if they wanted to? Like it would be very hard. I thought there's, I, if I had a bodyguard, God forbid... I would want them like right beside me to like yeah. help me. I mean, I the only place I've maybe needed a bodyguard is in Costco next <laughs> to the sales on t-shirts. <laughs> you know, when yeah. everyone's in there trying to grab stuff out of the bin. But I have I personally have never in my life had a bodyguard. I've had security at shows um that sort of sit in front of the stage on bigger mm -hmm. shows, but I, I don't I've never had an experience, but I do not I've never and never will experience that level of fame. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. He, the stories he was telling too, where it's like, you know, it's always, he was on a podcast. And so it's kind of all the behind the scenes look at what it was like working for him or working for Kanye. And I mean, a it doesn't sound like a particularly affable guy to work for. It doesn't sound like it was an easy gig by any stretch of the imagination. I bet you a lot of people who work around some bizarre celebrities would say the same thing, but he also did confirm. It seems that when they would go to restaurants or locations with, you know, Kim Kardashian in tow, or <laughs> one of her ahead. Yep. That somebody, not necessarily Kanye himself, but that somebody was very much notified in advance 
they're going to be coming. They're going to be at the, you know, this restaurant in LA and the paparazzi were tipped off. So then they would show up. Um, they would, the Kardashians would dress accordingly, you know, look their best, look their most stylish. Maybe a designer would send them the clothing because then they're photographed in it. Right. It's all part of an industry. Yeah. So it's my, like, my friend worked for Pamela Anderson, Pamela Anderson Lee. Am I saying Pamela Lee Anderson? Oh, what she's just Anderson now. Okay. Pamela <laughs> Anderson. We know who it is. Yeah. Anyways, he worked with her, uh, in London uh, on a book tour. And yeah. he had to phone ahead to every restaurant they went to, every hotel lobby. Yep. He phoned ahead to make sure that the paparazzi were there. And she was, it was one of the things that she really stipulated that had to be done through her people. Yeah. So, I mean, who does, who the hell would want to do that? It's big money. This is the thing. It's like, it's a big, big industry. Like it's the entertainment industry for a reason. Everyone thinks like, oh, it's spontaneous. And those rude paparazzi are just always hanging out in a bush. But now for some celebrities who actively try to stay out of the spotlight, that's true. Like, do I think that, you know, Michael Sarah wants to be followed around LA? Not particularly. Seth Rogen, probably not looking to be followed by the paparazzi. So if they get a photo of them, then fine. But yeah, like people who make their money, especially off of looking beautiful, like, you know, Pamela Anderson has and like the Kardashians have, if your money, if your money is made to be looked at, then you need people to keep looking at you. Well, I just find it really funny. I just have to read you this little thing. It's so ridiculous. On, so this is Steve. This is Kanye's bodyguard. On his first day of work, they stepped into an elevator, him and Kanye. And Steve doesn't know, you know, what floor they're going to, which isn't really his job, I guess. And uh, as the story goes, Kanye starts ranting and raving in the elevator. And he says, you mean you didn't call ahead to find out where I'm going? And so Steve says to him, look, bro, we can do this one of three ways. You can tell me what button to press. You can press the button so I'll learn which one. Or we can be here all day while you tell me how important your time is. So I, I can't really see that unfolding like that myself personally. I mean, these people can be so intimidating, but mm -hmm. I just, I've always marveled that, you know, the whole bodyguard thing, when you're out somewhere, what do you do at something like the Oscars or the Emmys? Like do people, obviously there's some very famous people that, that go to these award shows. Does, where do they put all their bodyguards? Like, does everyone bring their bodyguards? I've never even thought this through. They're it's, all sitting there. They're all, do they, do they forego that? that yeah. Day? Well, I, I would assume that the Oscars have their own level of security that would simply be part of the production cost and they would have to be stationed around various points in the auditorium. But yeah, like certainly for the red carpet and arrivals, I would think that a private security detail would be like the norm for most celebrities. I've been to, I've been to a wedding, a very, very wealthy kind of fancy wedding where all, a lot of the uh, families attending were quite powerful. I had a lot of money and they all showed up to the wedding with their own security detail. And so they would be at, Oh my God. Why? So, like scared of being kidnapped? What? what, what? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh scared of uh, just any potential of anything happening. A lot of people with a lot of money being in one place at the same time. And that's just part of their day-to-day -day life. So when they show up, you know, I initially thought, oh, look, look at all these people working for the wedding planners because they have like little headsets in there, little earpieces in. And it's all the coordinated security teams <laughs> oh of the wealthy, God. 
people who are there. And, but we're talking like billionaires with like a B. And my only other experience would be like another friend um, married a guy whose family has quite a bit of money. And we've been out with them a, a lot. They're super fun. We've socialized with them, but we would go to things like a hockey game or like an event. And we would frequently have a bodyguard with us, with, with, um, with him specifically. And it was so that the uh, bodyguard would have a license to carry anywhere you go. Whereas like you wouldn't be able to bring a gun into a hockey arena if you didn't have your own security guard with you. A lot of them are former police officers. Great way for them to make money. Well, why after quit? Who, who would even know who these people were if they weren't famous in the typical sense? These are, these are rich businessmen. Who would even know them? And what would they... What exactly would the bodyguard be protecting them from? Somebody coming up and saying hello? Or, you know, are they afraid of being kidnapped from a hockey game? Um, I don't I get it, it. I don't get I it, Caitlin. I think it becomes part of everyday life. The other thing that's important to remember is like we view this in the context of the Canadian, right? But I will disclose these are these are U.S. citizens. Okay. And in the U.S., when any, you know, um, any Joe Blow on the street might have a gun, it's very different level of risk when you're rolling around. And so if he's going to be in places where there's a real mixed bag and you think to yourself, I might have to get out of here fast or somebody could have a, a weapon on them. If you, uh, if you know, at any time you just feel safer, I guess, when you have a, a security detail with you and it's just commonplace. Like it's it, the way that I always saw it was at first super strange to me. And then you realize, Oh, it's like part of their day-to-day life. And the wedding that I was at, was actually in South America and kidnappings are super real there. You are, you are correct there. Yeah. Like uh, guys that are working on oil rigs, like in, in very high up administrative positions. Like, yeah, I, I do understand that. I do understand that. Okay. Just a little quick flip a topic here. Yeah. Um, you never want to, I never want to be in a position where I need a bodyguard. Let's just leave it at that. Never. I, I think, uh, I think, yeah, I, I kind of like my mediocre, <laughs> my <laughs> mediocre Canadian famous life, whatever that is, it's very mundane. And I talk to people in Costco on a regular basis and it's all good. Anyway, moving on. So when we were, when I was growing up, I don't know about you guys, but I had a very strange, you know, musical taste. And um, now, you know, I, I don't think I would have wanted my parents to always know what I was listening to. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I wouldn't have. In fact, I wouldn't want to one wanted to have anyone know. So now there, there's this article, Spotify, and there's a, an, an app that you can, as a parent, go and see the list that your kids are listening to. We, so we've got 40 seconds, Caitlin, you wrap this up. Would you want your parents to know what you're listening to? No, because they would have told me that I couldn't listen to a lot of the stuff I was Listen to what? To. Well, they caught me listening to Salt and Peppa when I was all of 12 years old. They had their album, Very Necessary, that came out. And it was extremely sexually explicit, although I didn't know what the lyrics meant. I just thought it was three kind of like badass <laughs> women who could rap. So I liked it. And then, but you know, you, you listen to the few opening lines on uh, None of Your Business. And it's all about like, none of your business who I sleep with was essentially the theme of the song. And if you're 12 year old kids listening to it, I'm guessing that parents are going to block that on Spotify. Well, and that's, yeah. if this was back in the day, Caitlin, your parents could have gone in, you could have gone in to listen to your favorite salt and pepper song and you would have found <laughs> it blocked by your parents. Cause that's what they can do totally. now. Listen, this show went by so fast and uh, thanks for listening. This has been the Janard podcast, Caitlin Green, Adam Karsh. You're going to see us here next week and hear us. Thanks for joining, uh, joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. Do what we do. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.